Mark chapter 1, the second book in the New Testament, right after the book of Matthew, tucked right there between uh, Luke and Matthew. Mark 1 and verse number 40. Mark 1, 40. You all there? All right, if you're there, say amen. amen. All right, verse 1, uh, verse 40, chapter 1. All right. There came a leper to him, beseeching him, and kneeling down to him, saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand, and touched him, and saith unto him, I will, be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him, and he was cleansed. And he straightly charged him, and forthwith sent him away, and saith unto him, See thou say nothing to any man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer for thy cleansing for those things which Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. But he went out and began to publish much and to blaze abroad the matter, insomuch that Jesus could no more openly enter into the city, but was without in desert places, and they came to him from every quarter. You pray with me and for me this morning. Father, we love you, and we do thank you for the time that you're giving us to come together around the world. So many thoughts that are packed into these few verses. And Lord, I pray you'd help us, Lord, to, uh, to understand what you want us to understand today. Give us the grace to leave here different than we came today. If there's one this morning that's not saved, uh, I pray you would open their hearts to the gospel, that they would understand what Christ is and who he is and what he can do. So guide us to truth this morning, and we'll give you the glory and honor. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray, amen. Thank you. you may be seated. When you read the Gospels, of course, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and, and John, it is the historical recording of the, uh, the work, the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you read it, it is apparent that the Lord centered his ministry around people. Uh, people were uh, the thrust of why he was here. I heard one preacher say, and I think sometimes they say it out of just the stress and the distress of maybe pastoring and ministering, is that the ministry would be wonderful if it weren't for people. Amen. All right? And so, and we laugh and chuckle at that. But uh, the Lord Jesus Christ was not only a, uh, a Messiah, a deliverer, but he was a minister. And he ministered to people. And he was drawn to people. And he loved of people. His ministry, uh, in fact, if you look at his mission statement, and it's interesting as you can study this, it's, it'd be interesting to study three passages of Scripture and why he came. Uh, one of those mission statements is in Luke chapter 19 and verse number 10. Here's what it says. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And so a ministry statement, a mission statement from the Lord Jesus Christ is to look for people that are lost, that need to be saved. The second part of his mission is in Mark 10, verse 45. It says this, For the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. The Lord Jesus Christ came in addition to looking for people that are lost and going to hell and to save them. He's looking for people that he can minister to, people that have needs. And in doing that, we find the third mission statement found in John 6, 38. John chapter 6, incredible chapter in the book of John. Verse 38 says, For I come down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. So watch this. The Lord Jesus Christ's mission statement is to look for people that were lost, to save them, lost being eternally under the judgment of Almighty God, and going to hell to pay for their sins. He's looking for them. He's looking for people to minister to, and he's looking to do the will of God, okay, the one who sent him. God sent his son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So you pull all that together, the mission statement of why the Lord Jesus Christ was centered around people. Now, a good application as you look at this is that how does his mission statement affect my life? If you're saved today, do you realize the book of 1 John chapter 4 
And verse 17 is a very interesting, very convicting phrase in that verse. Chapter 4, verse 17 of 1 John says this, As he is, so are we in this world. So the Lord Jesus Christ and what he was, we are to be the same way in this world. No, we're not going to be perfect. We're not going to ever reach in this lifetime sinless perfection. But there is a sense in which we ought to be emulating what the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to be looking for people that are lost, amen, to give them the gospel on how to be saved. We ought to be, number two, looking for people that we need to minister to. Well, that's the minister's job. All of us have the opportunity and the privilege and been commanded to be as he was, as he is, we are to be in this world. We are to be all ministering to one another. It's not the preacher's job. It's all of our jobs to minister. And number three, we're all to be doing the will of God, not our own will. Amen? Our job is to do what God wants us to do. And so Jesus came into this world. Yes, he had the cross on his mind. Yes, he set his flint as uh, his face as a flint to Jerusalem. He knew he was going to die. He literally came. He was born to die. He came for this purpose. He says, I came into this world. So in addition to coming to be a ransom for many, in addition to shedding his blood, in addition to knowing that he's going to the cross, he came to minister. An interesting word, though, the word minister, because in the Bible says he is a, a one that ministers. It's the same word we get our English word deacon from. Well, we are ministering. We're looking to help. We're, watch this. We're serving one another, helping one another ministering. And so the attitude of service, I think, is seen again and again and again in the Lord Jesus Christ as he not only went to the masses of people, but then occasionally he dealt with a person one-on-one. And those encounters, those one-on-one conversations with people from the Lord Jesus Christ are powerful. I know about this. When you look at the, the, the gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ came to minister And he had time for people. He made time for people. And he had very interesting personal conversations with people, encounters with people. So I want to just take a few weeks and unpack a couple of instances where he had one-on-one conversations. I think it's powerful. I really do. And so, and and these these encounters are life-changing. And when you look at and study the encounters, think about this. He goes to the masses. He sees the masses. The people are following him, thousands of people. But then once in a while, we'll find the Gospels recording a conversation, a one-on-one with someone that is speaking to him. And so observing those, those interactions with these people of his day, we'll see how he wants to interact with people on a personal level today. Amen? So Mark chapter 1 is very busy. It's a very busy text. Uh, in, in, in chapter 40, down through chapter number 45, the text that we're talking about today, the very interesting background to this text. And I don't want to take too much time on this, but I want you to know when the Lord Jesus Christ is ministering, there's quite a bit of things going on. His earthly ministry is just now ramping up. People are now starting to hear about him. His fame is starting to go out. But when we get to chapter 1, verse 40, it's just beginning. The book of Mark is just beginning. And we find the Lord Jesus Christ is in the midst of a tiring, trying, preaching, healing campaign. And he had been doing this nonstop. And we're told here just the day before, look in verse 21 of Mark 1. Watch what it says here. And they went to Capernaum and straightway, listen to this, on the Sabbath, the day he entered into the synagogue, he what? I've been to this, this particular synagogue in Capernaum, beautiful little city, very, very coastal city in the northern part of the Sea of Galilee, all those that have gone to Jerusalem. We just preached on this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and, he, and this synagogue is there, not a large synagogue, but at this point, he's there in the synagogue. There's people coming in to hear him. And the Bible says in verse 22, and that they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. A very interesting, um, powerful reminder here of what good preaching is. Good preaching has, watch this, right doctrine, teaching. And it's done with authority. That's what Jesus spoke with authority. And he spoke and they were astonished at his doctrine. That makes good preaching right there. When they're speaking authoritatively because they understand the Bible is an authoritative book. 
and they have the right doctrine. The Lord Jesus Christ had both. He's a good preacher. Amen. He was the best preacher. But yet he is in the synagogue and he's preaching. Most likely crowds of people are pushing in, getting in to hear him preach. And the exhaustion, they say that preaching is equivalent, one hour of preaching is equivalent to eight hours of hard labor. And I've done both. And I would agree. That is true. It's exhausting. And he's here preaching. He's exhorting. And in the middle of this, this synagogue service, Something happens, verse 23, and there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, the Bible says, and cried out. Now, my question is, why would this guy even come to church? Okay, he, the, 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 the human side of this possessed man, he's needing help, but the demon side of this possessed man wants to say something. In fact, he wants to ask a question, verse say, 24, saying, let us, watch this, this is one man, let us, plural, so demons are speaking now through, it is the middle of church service. This man starts to cry out. These demons start to cry out. Let us uh, alone. What are we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee, who thou art, the Holy One of God. So there's a powerful affirmation from a demon-possessed man in this church service that he's having to deal with. Then, of course, he begins to talk. Jesus rebukes him, saying, hold thy peace and come out of him. Can we just say this without going too much further in this detail? Not only is he dealing with exhorting a crowd inside the synagogue, he is having to deal with darkness, a demon inside the church service. Hey, Pastor, does that happen? Absolutely it happens. Demons love to come to church. I'm going to use the biblical word. Devils love to come to church. They love to disrupt church services. Amen? They love it. They love it when when God's people are distracted from hearing God's word. They love it when no one can understand what the word of God is teaching. They love it when there's confusion. They love that. And so they love to come to church. They love to stay in church when you're gone. Case in point, you stay here to church when you're all by yourself. A lot of noises in this church. Are y'all here? And it's not Gary Kramer walking around humming. All right? Matt Marshall, when he was here, he would try to scare Carol Foltz. And you talk about hilarious. He was always trying to scare people. But sometimes he got scared and no one was here. Are y'all here? And that's kind of, yeah. God knows how to hand it back to Brother Marshall. So watch this. This is, I'm not even get to the text here. Can I just kind of unpack this schedule? He's in a preaching service. He's dealing with darkness. And listen, when you deal with darkness, it's exhausting. When you, listen, when a parent has to deal with the darkness of his children or her children, that is exhausting work. I mean, it takes a lot out of you. It takes its toll. You get a parent that has a kid that is going bad. It is aging that parent. It is hurting that parent. It's exhausting to deal with darkness. Darkness in a home is an exhausting thing. Darkness in a relationship, darkness in a church. We know this, darkness in our country. I mean, you can read the news and you understand the news this morning is dark. There's darkness and Jesus here is speaking to the crowds. He's in a church service and a demon-possessed man comes in. This is before he even gets to the man in verse 40. And then you find verse 28. And immediately, as soon as he heals this demon-possessed man, the Bible says immediately his fame spread abroad throughout all the region around about Galilee. And forthwith, when they were come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick of a fever. And Adam, they tell uh, tell to him of her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And immediately the fever left. And she went and cooked a bowl of chili. Okay, that's in the Greek. All right. She ministered unto them. So she goes right back to work. Watch this. He doesn't stop. So he goes from the church service, deals with his demon, goes to Peter's house. He, and he, he heals his mother-in-law. He says, okay, take a rest. No, verse 32. And an even. And the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were what? Disease. Now, the population of Capernaum at this time is anywhere between two to 3,000 people. 
Now, remember, we already find that his region or his, his fame went out all around the region of Galilee. So there's people hearing about him around in the countryside and other cities, maybe Bethsaida. We know Bethsaida and Chorazin heard it because of the prophecy that is connected to those three cities. But here we find here that all that were diseased and them that were possessed with devils and all the city was gathered together at the door. Now, can you imagine this? The door of where they're at, most likely Peter's mother-in-law's house, the entire city's gathered at. It's a lot of people. So we got 2,000 people. The whole city's out there. And most people outside of the region's coming in. And he, the Bible says, there's 34. He healed many that were sick of diverse diseases and cast out many devils and suffered not the devils to speak because they knew him. So he's having to still deal with the demons and the darkness and the devils. Saying, hold your peace. Because the one already spoke about him being the son of God. So he's having to have them hold their peace. So you think here, okay, when's it going to stop? It doesn't. Look in verse 35, and in the morning, rising up a great while before day. What does that mean for teenagers? It is before the sun comes up. Isn't that crazy? It is amazing. A sunrise is up. It's incredible to watch. If you've never seen one teenager, you ought to do it. It's absolutely beautiful. And they went out. Watch this. He's up before the day. He's up before everyone else. And he went out and he departed into it. Look at this word here. A solitary what? What does that mean? He went there to find some peace. Peace. Solitary place. He needed time with God. He needed time with his father. You needed that quiet time. Now, ladies, watch this. When you're ministering, you need quiet time with God. He needed that. And then verse number 36. And Simon and they that were with him followed after him. Where is he? We're going to find him. Okay, in verse number 37. And when they found, there you are. We we, we thought we lost you. And they found him. Are you all with me this morning? They found him, and he's alone. He's with his father, and here's Peter. You're not going to believe this. There is a bunch of people that are trying to find you. That, well, I'm so glad we found you. How many would say Peter's probably not doing well in this situation here? Could he have just given the Lord just a few more minutes? But the Lord doesn't rebuke, doesn't say a word. Verse 38. Watch this. And he said unto them, let us go into the next towns, plural, that I may preach there also. For therefore came I forth, and he preached in their synagogues, plural, throughout all Galilee, and cast out what? Can you just say, can we, okay, watch this. We've got Capernaum. We've got the demon in the middle of the church. I always pointed to the left side for the demon, okay? I'm sorry about that. The demon on the, in the church service, okay? And, uh, and they, he's there and uh, has to deal with that. And goes from there to the mother-in-law, heals her, which is a blessing. Amen, to heal a mother-in-law. All right? Uh, and so Peter probably was helped with that. And they'll heal the mother-in-law, goes out. There's 2,000 people there waiting to get healed and get some help. He doesn't stop. He gets up early. He's out praying with God, uh, with his father. Peter finds him, says, let's get back to work. No, Jesus says, let's get back to work. Doesn't stop. What an amazing, what an amazing thought. The pastor, wait a minute, time out. He's a son of God. And he was supposed to, yes, he was supposed to do it. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. We know that he came to minister. He came to do the will of the Father. We understand that. But a very interesting thought on this is that of Mark. Just make a right there. Mark chapter 5. I want to point out something very simple. Mark 5. And I want you to, by the way, when we get to Mark chapter 5, there's a lot here. There's demons that he's dealing with, with the maniac of Gadara that we call him. But there's a woman here in this chapter that has an issue of blood for 12 years. She goes to many doctors. None of those doctors can help her. They prescribe things. There's nothing. No doctor, because she's got an issue of blood. She's anemic. She's been anemic for 12 years. She's very weak. She's tired. She's done. 12 years. 
And so she, according to the scripture, says, if I may just touch the hem of his what? Garment. Okay, so that's what she wanted to do. She didn't want to just touch his foot or leg or hand or shoulder. If I could just touch the hem of his garment, which was, interestingly, a prophecy out of the book of Malachi about healing in his wings. Not physical wings, but the wings of his garment, the hem of his garment. She purposely came to touch the hem of his garment. It's a very interesting uh, sermon on that. And so she doesn't touch him, just the hem of his garment. And I want you to note in verse 30, if if you read it fast, you'll skip right over it. And you'll miss something incredible that's happening here. And Jesus, after he touch, she touches his garment. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him. Now watch this. Something had to leave the Savior to help the woman. He turned him about in the press and said, who touched my clothes? Watch this. Something left him. Very interesting point, ladies and gentlemen. The word virtue means power or strength. The Lord Jesus Christ is walking. There's a crowd around him. Powerful movement of God working in and amongst Jesus Christ. And this woman pushing herself through the crowd, touches the hem of his garment. He knows strength, virtue left him. For this woman to be healed, Jesus had to give. For this woman to get the healing inside her body that no doctor could perform, that no no uh, other musician or uh, magician could do, nothing. Nothing could help this woman. What Jesus did was healed her, but it cost him. So in addition to the price of dying for our sins... His entire ministry, three and a half years, was one of cost. He was losing strength as he was giving people healing. What a powerful thought. So he continually gave his time. He continually gave, biblically speaking, virtue. That's the backdrop of where we're at. And so it's that busy schedule that the text takes us to this very interesting conversation, this event, this encounter. And he's interrupted by this single man, this, this, this leper, but this man's life's going to be changed. And while there are great crowds around him, and there are great crowds that are being helped by his teaching, this one man managed to come out of all that crowd and have a an encounter with Christ. But I want you to note in verse number 40 of the text, back in Mark 1, watch what it says here about him. It is warm in here. I'm going to have to take the coat off, okay? Mark 1. And there came a leper to him. Watch this, and I hope it's not boring you here. But this, 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 this man is known as a leper. He's known as a leper. And we're told here that as he's approaching the Lord Jesus Christ, he's got this disease. And by the way, this disease uh, and this particular affliction of the body is one of the most devastating diseases in the ancient world. There is no cure. There's no cure from this. When you have leprosy, you die with leprosy. It's a horrific, horrific disease. And I started studying about the, the makeup of It's a virus, and it gets into the body. And it starts just like COVID-19. It starts with a little bit of weakness. You, just feel, you don't feel right. You feel a little tired. You wake up. Like, I don't feel right. I feel a little just tired today. I remember day one, two, three, and four of COVID. It's like, ugh, I don't feel like doing anything, man. I just feel like, just feel like lethargic. Y'all with me? Day five hit, and then the train hits. Okay. This, how, this is how it starts, just tiredness. And then for, for no reason, you would start to start feel fatigue. And then the joints, your elbows and your neck would start to begin to get sore. And then the man would notice or someone would notice on the man that little white spots are starting to form on his, on his face. That's where leprosy begins. And so these little white spots would become hard 
little nodules that will be on the face, and they would turn from, from white uh, to pink and then to brown. And then when you get to the brown status, it became very scaly, and, and these nodules begin to spread from the face down into the neck. They begin to itch. Your eyes would itch. Your neck and your, your upper body would begin to itch like you're itching right now, <laughs> feeling the itch. And so from there, these nodules begin to spread throughout the body, typically starting on the face. And they say that when it starts in the face, the face becomes somewhat disfigured. Your mouth droops, your eyes droop. They say that you would look most likely like a lion in just a few months to a year. Your face would be so disfigured. You begin to be wrinkles and nodules and covering the face until it tells us that just they don't even look human. And so the nodules begin to oscillate, and then I'm not trying to be gross here. I'm trying to point and show the picture of what's happening here with this man in verse 40. They begin to oscillate, and then pus would become pretty much filling the body all over, causing a, a foul taste in the mouth of one that has leprosy because of the corruption in the body. But those that would be around a leper would also smell a terrible stench and not even be able to stand near them. And this nodules would then begin to force their way into the vocal cord and they would begin wheezing as they breathe. And they would have difficulty even speaking with raspiness. And so the disease of leprosy is, is, is going to ultimately take the life of that infected one and they become literally a pool of slime. When they walk, they leave wet spots of pus behind them. And inch by inch, the man's and the woman's body would become rot. They would walk and they would literally begin to fall apart. Members of the body would fall off. Fingers, ears. Horrible, horrible, disfiguring disease. In addition to just the effects of the body, there is a social effect that they would not be welcomed in any social activities. This would last for approximately average lifespan after the infection would be about nine years. Nine years. One year after another, after another of loneliness, Separated from your family, separated from your friends in leprous colonies with others that are going through and dying of the same disease that you're dying of. Terrible, terrible social isolation. People that you love, your wife, your kids, will from a distance say hi to you. From a distance bring gifts. It is noted in many of the history books that even while the leper was still alive, they would actually conduct funerals. For the person. And they would invite the person to their own funeral. Sad. According to Leviticus, they would have to have red clothes. So in a sense, it would be actually mourning for themselves. Are you all here? This is a horrible, horrible disease. And so over a period of time, it would take its toll and literally kill the person infected. We say, preacher, wait a minute, time out. We, we don't have leprosy, largely speaking. We have COVID-19, but we don't have leprosy today. But I would answer that this way. There's several types in the Bible. For example, leaven in the Bible is a type of sin, leaven. The leaven of the Pharisees. Leprosy in the Bible is also a type of sin, and you understand the Bible, as you look at leprosy, is, is far more worse. Sin is far more worse than leprosy is, as, as horrible. And it's as disfiguring as, physically speaking, leprosy is. Sin is much worse on a person's spiritual life. Let me give you some similarities if you have your Bible. And I'm almost out of time. I'm not even to the point one yet. Look, if you would, in the book of Leviticus quickly. Go back there and look with me in Leviticus 13. 
Leviticus chapter number 13. And I want you to note here in verse 3. If you remember, Randy King brought a message. Uh, remember the ish message? If you don't have that message, you ought to get it. The ish message is it out of Leviticus 13 and chapter 14. And it's how a priest in the Old Testament was to identify leprosy and declare the person that has leprosy, either clean or unclean, whether they have it or not have it, based on observation. Look at verse number three. And the priest shall look on the plague in the skin of the flesh. And when the hair in the plague is turned white and the plague in the sight is deeper than the skin of his flesh, it is a plague of what? Now, I don't know about you. Stopping right here, I would not want to be one of the priests. I'm just, I'm just saying. Humanly speaking, I would think to myself, I got five lepers I got to see today. Not really on the top of my priority list. I got to look at their skin. I got to see if the bump on that skin is higher than the other part of the skin. I got to evaluate the color of that bump. Not necessarily something in the ministry you like to do. But they were told to do this. And the priest shall look on him and pronounce him unclean. Now understand, there's a virus in this body that's coming out through the skin. It's visible through the skin. You couple that with the book of Matthew, chapter 15, verse 18, where it says this. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the what? Heart. And they defile the man. You realize, you realize this, that you want to find out what's in your heart. You want to find out how sinful you are. Listen to yourself speak. Listen to what's coming out of your mouth. Listen to the words that are in your mouth. Listen to what's coming from your heart through your mouth. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm saying this. As God's people, listen to what you're saying. Because what's coming out is defiling you. For out of the heart proceedeth evil thoughts and murders and adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, and blasphemies. That's what's coming out of our heart. So leprosy of the heart comes out of the mouth. Leprosy in the body comes out in the skin. Very interesting. Externally observable. Number two. Leprosy starts small, but it always spreads. In fact, if you look in verse number 7 of Leviticus 13, it says, And if the scab spread much abroad in the what? Skin. After that, he had seen the priest for his cleansing. He shall, see, he shall be seen of the priest again. So watch this. You know what he's looking for? Spreading. You know what sin does? Spreads. <coughs> Just listen. <laughs> Just, boy, I hope I don't got it. <coughs> On the way in today, I had a cup of, uh, I had a, uh, a, a cup of coffee. <coughs> and, um, and it went down that wrong pipe. And the kids are so good. Uh, Timothy went down the wrong pipe again. How'd that? Yeah, it did. <coughs> Turn it blue, Dad. All right, thanks. <laughs> If you could talk to David and say, David, listen, David, if you could go back and do it again, would you do anything different? Yeah, I would have gone out with the kings to battle. Because when I was not where I should have been, I saw Bathsheba. I had adultery with her. I had her husband killed. It didn't stop. Sin always has this spreading effect. It spreads everything it touches, defiles everything. Listen, if you've got a husband that is, listen, sinful, that sin spreads through the home. If you have a pastor that is living in a sinful life, it spreads. It's a very toxic thing. Ladies and teenagers can affect the home and infect the home. What you watch, what you bring into that home. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, be very careful. Because sin has an infective and infectious attitude and quality that wants to move and move and move. Defiles everything it touches. So sin has a way of poisoning everything in your life. It isolates you. According to verse 46 of Leviticus 13, there's, they had to be isolated. And everything it touches has to be set on fire. Everything. So can, can I say this? And we're just looking through this. Th- this man is in bad shape. He's in bad, bad shape. Look back in Mark 1. I'm going to try and finish this, at least get the first point here. 
Mark 1. And there came a leper. So with this mess, with this body that's being disfigured, this body that's dying, this body that is now, according to Luke's account, Luke 5 has a very interesting phrase about the advancement of this disease. In fact, it says in Mark chapter 5, and I'm going to just give you the verse if you want to look it up later. It's verse 12. Same leper, but verse 12 says he was full of leprosy. Now, note the full, the word full in Luke 5.12, showing that it's beyond his face, it's beyond his chest and arms. Watch this, he's full of leprosy. He's in the latter stages of this disease. He's most likely already had this disease nine to ten years. He's going to die. So he's coming with disfigured faces, missing limbs. He's a mess. He's a total mess. And he knows it. And only one person can help him. He knows that too. In these days, they believe that if a person had leprosy, they were under the judgment of God. In a sense, they are. But the leprosy was not evidenced of that judgment. Listen, when someone gets sick in the church or something happens to someone that you love, you say, well, I wonder what they did. That question should not be asked because we're living in a sin-cursed world. Diseases come. Accidents come. People die. I was talking to one of my neighbors here uh, yesterday, and one of his own sons died here in Finley, Ohio. Heartache for him. His own child having to bury. Why did that happen? Was God judging him? No, we're in a sin-cursed world, and there's death. And you find here this man thinking in this day and age that he's under the judgment of God, and he's coming to this Messiah. Can you imagine what he's thinking? What is this Messiah going to do? Is he going to just curse me? Is he going to throw me out? Is he going to stone me? Is he going to kill me? Maybe for the first time in a long time, this man thought to himself, I need help. And there is no one capable of healing me. Whatever motivated him, we find here that he hobbles, he comes in. You can imagine the multitudes of people looking at him. His hair is, according to Leviticus 13, would have been shaven, face disfigured, arms disfigured, body disfigured, limbs missing. He has no, no feeling. The, the, the nervous system is no longer able to feel pain. He's a bloody, pussy mess. A walking slime as he's coming. Stench. Y'all hear this? And the people running. And there came a leper. Ladies and gentlemen, when you came to the Lord Jesus Christ, can I say it this way? There came a leper. When you got saved... When you realize for the first time that you were dying and going to hell because of your sins, and there came a leper. And that leprosy was keeping you isolated from God. And that leprosy of sin is in spreading its infectious disease, spiritual disease throughout your entire family, and you got saved. You ought to thank God for that. So he comes with the condition, but he comes with this word beseeching. He's begging. I like this next phrase, and kneeling down to him. That's a good place to be. When's the last time, teenager, you knelt down to God? You kneel down. Kneel. Put your knee on the ground. And you kneel down to God. This is a position of humility. This is a position that you're taking, realizing that you are not worthy to be in his presence. So he came, and the words that he used indicate a desire to be free from this sin, this disease. The words that he used declares that there is faith in the one that he's coming to. I believe that he could help me. And the words reveal his own sense of unworthiness because the way he's coming, he's kneeling down. Realize conviction from the Holy Spirit produces in the heart of man a desire to be healed from the sin curse by faith in Jesus Christ. 
And there must be faith. There must be a place where that faith opens up that gift. In Ephesians 2, that God will give you. It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done. According to Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, it says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. I quote that verse about every week. It's not how good you are. It's not the works you do. It's the faith that connects you to that gift. And that exchange takes place. There will be a sense of unworthiness when you come to the Lord and you say, I can't do this. I've been religious all my life. I can't get to heaven. You finally realize that, you're ready to be saved. Full of leprosy. Coming to his end. So there's the picture. But verse 41 is interesting because in verse 41 it says, in Jesus, the phrase here moved with what? Okay. Now, if you stop here for a second, Again, we have crowds of people all around, and this one person comes full of leprosy. He's going to die, and Jesus has compassion. Very interesting word. The Bible says he put forth his hand and touched him. Now, remember, when they're declared a leper, they have to be separated from everyone else. They go to lepers' colonies. They're not allowed to be around family, not allowed to be around friends. Could it be possible that this is the first time in nine to ten years that this man has been touched by a clean human? Wow. There's something about a touch, man, where you handshake and, and a hug, an appropriate, where there's there's camaraderie. There's people coming together. People love to come together. We ought to want to come together. We need, if you would, the fellowship of believers. We need a pat on the back. That touch, that human touch is a powerful thought. But the Lord Jesus Christ's touch is different than any other touch of human. He touched this man. First time he's been touched, most likely in nine to ten years. Been years. And I don't know about you. I don't know what the leper expected. I... This, this leper, of course, thinking to himself, I'm going to infect everyone that I touch. But no, Jesus touched him. I don't know about you, but it makes no difference who you are, where you came from, or what you've done, how bad you were, and all that stuff. Have you ever experienced the touch of Jesus Christ in your life? Where he touched your heart? And you know, it was God. I said in the nine o'clock hour, and I, it was, as I was, not my notes, but just thinking about it, we all, we, to pray, we all pray for our kids to have the touch of Jesus in their life. They, 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 they just don't trust Jesus because dad and mom trust Jesus. And they don't just go to church because that's the thing we do on weekends. And they don't just read the Bible because they have to read the Bible. They just don't memorize the scripture because we have a contest going on in junior church. They don't just carry the Bible and and dress up to come to church because it's the right thing to do. No, ladies and gentlemen, our children ought to have an encounter with Jesus Christ, a touch. Well, Jesus touches them and touches their heart. You'll never be the same again. Never be the same again when you're touched. And oh, listen, Jesus wants to touch some people. I don't know if you've ever felt locked in sin's dungeon. You're helpless. You're hopeless. You're in a mess. No one wants you anymore. You messed everything up. You've messed your life up. You remember that. Remember how wonderful you felt being in the dungeon's prison. And Jesus came along and said, I can can help you. How about the prodigal sons and daughters who say, why don't you come on home? That touch. And then you find here, there's immediately, and this is, this is the, the crux of the message in verse 42. Because the touch is one thing. Listen, the touch is an incredible. And sometimes when Jesus touched, they were healed. But something happens different in this one, and it's interesting. And God uses all kinds of ways to heal people. Do you realize right now we have the incarnate word, the incarnate word, which is the Lord Jesus Christ robing himself in flesh. The Bible says in John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Okay? That's the incarnate word of God. Then you have the spoken word, where in this case, this man was spoken to by Jesus Christ. That's the spoken word. You all with me so far? Then we have in this day, in this dispensation, the written word. 
Are you all here? So we don't have the spoken word today, but we do have the written word today. We do not have the incarnate word today. We don't have Jesus walking in the flesh amongst us today, but we have the written word today. And ladies, watch this. When he spoke, the Bible says, immediately the leprosy departed. Can we just say this right here on this part right here? That, ladies and gentlemen, never underestimate the power of God's word in your life. Wherewithal, the Bible says in Psalm 19, shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereunto according to thy what? Word. You show me the sin in your life and I'll show you your relationship to this book right here. No marriage ever fails when both people are in this book right here. And they're humble. Are you all here? When I came to church, I'm not talking about coming to church. I'm not talking about tithing. I'm not talking about doing the wonderful works that we do in his name. I'm talking about having a relationship with this book right here. Don't tell me your conspiracy theories and all the things you watch over and over again. What, tell me about what you've done in this book. Because this will help you, man. This is where you get healing. Not from chewing on and all the other stuff. I'm not against all that stuff per se. It's more entertaining for me. This is not. This helps me. You ought to, you ought to trust this more. You ought, to trust, you, ought to, you ought to have a relationship with this. Can I just park here for a little bit on this? When you, when you wake up the first thing in the morning, are you grabbing your cell phone or you're grabbing the book? I'm speaking to myself. I have a grabbing a cell phone, grabbing a cell phone, grabbing a cell phone. Who's got a call? Who do I got a call? Who do I got? He spoke. He was healed. He revealed this transformation that took place. He made a difference in his life, giving him a new life. I don't know what it was like for that leper. We do know, according to the verse, he didn't obey God. Say, Pastor, how do you know that? Well, look at the text here. It's, it's just, I read this yesterday. I say, like, why did he do that? I understand why he did it. I do. I understand why he did it. But what if he didn't do this? We all know where I'm going. Okay, watch what it says, okay? And Jesus speaking to him, he, he's healed and he was cleansed in verse 42. And he straightly charged him and forthwith sent him away. Here's what he said. Here's a semicolon here. And saith unto him, see thou say nothing to any man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priests, and offer for thy cleansing those things which Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. There's another whole point. We're not going to have time to get to it today about fulfilling the law. Jesus says, go to the priest. Do you realize the priest needed to see the miracle? Are you all here? The priest in the Old Testament, again, mostly rejected Jesus Christ as Messiah. Okay? For him to go to the priest and show him, I'm cleansed. How would you get cleansed? I know you're a leper. Uh, Jesus of Nazareth touched me, and he spoke to me, and I'm healed. Okay? He said, go to him. But if you note here the conjunction in verse number 45, but he went out and obeyed the voice of Jesus, right? (laughs) I understand why he did this. And if you're watching online, you don't have your Bible. Here's what it says. And he began to publish it much and to blaze abroad the matter. He did exactly what Jesus told him not to do. I understand why he did it. I mean, listen, if Jesus does something great in your life, you want to say something, right? I'm just wondering if he would obey the Lord Jesus Christ, how many more people might have been helped. Just a thought. Because it says here, insomuch that Jesus could no more, look at the phrase here, openly enter into the city, but was without in desert places, and they came to him from every quarter. How many people could not come to Jesus because of this man's disobedience? I'm just saying. You ever think about it? Just saying. So here's this message. Incredible, life-changing event that allowed us to see the Lord's love for those that are not helpable any other way. There's no helping this man. And always the story when someone's healed of leprosy, it's immediately visible. You realize when God saves a sinner, there's immediate visible effects of that. 
One preacher said it this way. When the God of the universe moves in, there ought to be a change. Are you all here? One old preacher, he was 300, I think, 380 pounds. Uh, Curtis Hudson's son, uh, Tony, Tony Hudson, gives the message. When he lays in a bed, all four corners of the mattress lift up two feet. He says, by the time I'm finished sleeping in that bed, he says, it is an amiss, it's a mess. He says, the mattress is uh, pretty much disfigured. The, 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 the sheets are off. The covers are a mess. Why? I'm a 390-pound man sleeping in a bed, moving all night long. He said, I'll never understand, he said, I'll never understand how someone cannot have evidence of salvation when someone as big as God moves in. There ought to be evidence. Don't tell me your salvation testimony. Show me what, <laughs> the Bible says, by their fruits ye shall know them. Know them. He was changed, visibly changed, spiritually changed. He began to publish what happened to him. Leprosy, sin, love, compassion, healing made a difference. Total transformation. And I would say this, ladies and gentlemen, if you have not had the touch of Jesus on your life, you can. Jesus loves you, unconditionally loves you. For God so loved the world, unconditional love that he offers that. After the Bible study on Tuesday night, a guy came to me. We talked about what loved ones are doing in heaven right now. We talked about what they're thinking, what they're doing. And he came to me, he says, in tears in his eyes, an older man, Steve from uh, Van Lu. He came to me, Steve Miller. And he came to me, he said, Pastor, why would anybody, why would anybody say no to Jesus? He says, Steve, for the life of me, I can't figure that out. Why would anyone say I don't need Jesus Christ. I don't want him. Why would anyone say that when he give, gives so much freely, so much life, offer freely as a gift? It's our choice, isn't it? 